This is Tennessee Talks with United States Congressman Tim Burchett. Hello, I'm Congressman Tim Burchett. Welcome back to another episode of Tennessee Talks. Today, I'm really, really fired up about our guest. Um, I didn't even say that in my notes, and I'm saying that, folks. But today, we're joined by my very good friend, the governor of the great state of Tennessee, Bill Lee. And Bill's a seventh-generation Tennessean. He was born and raised on the Triple L Ranch in Franklin, which started, which was started by his grandparents, and he grew up raising Hereford cattle. I'm going to talk to you about that cattle deal. I got 60 acres. I got to, we got those crazy horses out there. Dad got oh, yeah. And yeah, you can't eat them. Can I'm, I want to talk sometime. But um, anyway, after college, he started working with his family's home service and construction company, became the company's president and CEO in 1992. A quarter century later, he won the governor's seat in 2018 with no prior political experience. And he has been serving Tennessee in that position ever since. Governor, I want to thank you for joining me today. And we'll get right into some hard-hitting questions that um, – that we have not prepared you for. So <laughs> thank you, Congressman. That's I'm proud good, to be yeah. on you. I'm proud to be on your show, by the way. It's a, yes, you're a, you're a, uh, you're a good man who's right. serving in a very important spot. So thank I you for having me. All that. My wife and daughter love you. So that's all, that's all that really matters <laughs> with me. I, I, you know, don't worry about me. It's just those two. They think you're the greatest thing in the world. And Kelly love and Isabel love seeing you at the ball game Saturday. And I guess I need to start off with that with a very important question. Um, how was your experience at the UT Alabama game? Goodness gracious. I, uh, I had this uh, great opportunity to go down on the field um, before the game started. And that, that was, that was just really awesome. You know, that's one of those games where you've got it recorded. Everybody does, you know, you record it at home. If you get the opportunity to go to the game <clears throat> and then probably watch that game, you know, 20 times over the next five years. My, my wife sometimes like, really, we're going to watch another game. It's seven, it's 11 o'clock on Saturday night. And I, I pull up some game from, you know, six years ago and yeah, yeah, that'll be, that'll be that game. People will watch that one for, uh, for a long, long time. Forever. I, I was, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a teetotaler, which means I don't, which some of my, viewers don't know what that means. I don't drink alcohol. So I would always be the one that would drive my fraternity brothers, my Sigma Chi fraternity brothers to ball games. And we went to Alabama uh, the oh, last wow. time when we beat them down there and we started kind of a, a deal. And I always, um, I always remembered that game because of uh, um, uh, the fact that I was sober and that we won. And um, uh, I always remember we were, we were almost about to get out on the field. And there was a bunch of Alabama state troopers out there. And, uh, and this one fan, he was actually from Alabama and he ran out on the field and they clubbed him pretty good. And then they turned to the crowd with their batons and waved them to us. Like, of course, we don't, don't think about coming out here. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I remember though, I felt so sorry for that guy. And then I read where he had a, a big, a big settlement um shortly thereafter the state next of alabama game, so next game you ran out on the field right no no my dad was dean of student conduct i could I, he would have lit me up man i was just uh i was always uh having to to defend my fraternity brothers who were who were probably led astray by some of those pikes and lambda guys 
you know, because our guys usually spent most of our time in the library studying. I'm sure you did. That's how you ended up in Congress. I know my my six years of undergraduate studies uh, uh, prepared me for for that. And so, and, uh, you know, it's tough to go. It took me six years, literally, to get through UT, and I did not drink or smoke pot. And I, but it it took, and and I finally, I got across that, uh, walked that stage, and my mom and dad were so proud. Hey, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, that's right. And it was in the trades too, technological adult education. So I know that's something near and dear to your heart. Um, if I ever get out of this gig, I'll probably just go back to welding because, you know, I love to weld and I can do it. And um, I don't do drugs and I would show up for work. I could probably work in any state in the country right now if, if you wanted to, if you needed a welder. So you, you got that right. And you make pretty good money right now. <clears throat> great money. Yes, sir. <clears throat> well, let me ask you what, what I, you and I have talked about this before, but I'm curious what, um, and our, our people will be curious, what, what really motivated you to run for office for governor? And, and, um, and how's that experience been this past few years? Yeah, you know, I was talking to somebody last night about that. They asked me that, you know, the synopsis, the, the quick story on that is you have certain things in your life that, in, that, challenge you uh, in real powerful ways. My first wife was killed when I was 40. I had four little kids. You know, God used that event to really challenge me, sort of set things in order in my life. You you go through something like that and it kind of clarifies what matters and what doesn't matter. Cause yep. it caused me then to think about, you know, what did I want my life to be about? I got really... Um, Besides running my business, which I love, and it was a very worthwhile, meaningful thing to do, I, I got involved in a bunch of nonprofit work, for, took my kids to other parts of the world to see what, just to see how fortunate we are to be Americans. Haiti, Mexico, Africa, everybody can't do that, but I had the opportunity to do that. And then I decided to get a little more involved close to home, mentored kids in the inner city, mentored men coming out of prison, got involved in things that were purposeful and meaningful and actually the government has something to do with so uh education of of the underserved and criminal justice and so i got i was friends with governor haslam he appointed me to a couple task forces that led to work on public policy and you know somewhere along the line i thought you know maybe i could use my life in a way uh that could positively impact people around me. We all want to do that. And we do. And there's a whole lot of different ways to do it. And I experimented with those different ways. And then I thought, what if, what if this was an opportunity to do that? And that, that really is why Maria and I decided to pray about it for a year. And then we decided to do it and it, and it worked out. I remember you had a little, um, little camper, or I mean, it was like not a Winnebago. It was, it was, it was less than a Winnebago. And uh, I remember you were at the Granger County uh, Tomato Festival, and and I said to somebody, um, um, I was with um, a group of folks, and and they said, "Who's that?" And I said, "Well, you ought to go over there and meet that guy." I said he's going to be the next governor of the state of Tennessee. And they said, "I said, Bertie, you're crazy." And I said, "No, dude, I tell you, I, it's not in my notes, but I don't care." Um, I remembered the first time I saw you. You know, my wife's a widow. And, and she went through a, a very traumatic situation, losing her husband. 
and the father of, of my child, Isabel, who I adopted, who's mine now. Um, people say your stepdaughter, and I, I kind of cringe at that. I adopted her. She's mine. She calls me dad. And I remember I told Kelly the first time she called me dad, I said, throw me the checkbook and the car keys. We're going somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was magic, man. It's my, it still is. But, but, um, you know, I, I, I go back to a lot of those same experiences. And I, I remembered when you were speaking and, um, and I, I tend to, I don't watch the people speaking. I watch the people they're speaking to just to kind of catch their, and, you know, and everybody had a compelling story that was running, that was running at the time. And they were all there and they all, um, you know, they're very polished. And I, and I watched you and I looked and I looked at my wife and, and she was, and, and she had put her, uh, she was really paying attention. You know, everybody, everybody had put their fork down and I thought, that that your story was very compelling, and I and I said, I said at that time, I said if you get if you get the wind behind you, this is this one's going to happen. And you know, at the time, everybody said Burchett, you're crazy, but they people still when they run into me at, at reunions and things, they always ask me, what do you do now? And I say, well, I'm I'm in Congress, and they go, no, really, what do you do now? And I said, really, I mean, Google it, <laughs> Google it. <laughs> But, but uh, I can, I can, I can kind of, some reason I've been able to to tell when people are, are, are going to go the distance and, and you were one of them. And I well, was, you're, 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 you're a good brother to say that. And I, I appreciate that. And, you know, frankly, there, you're the kind of person and you're talking about yourself and, and I won't, you know, I know you're self-deprecating, but you're that kind of regular everyday person that people are very attracted to. It's the reason you're in Congress. And, and uh, when, when we get done with this and I get to ask you a question, I'm going to ask you about that, but you're uh, being able to connect to people at a, just at a regular everyday life level. Um, it's, it's important if, if you're going to represent people is to, uh, is to let them know that, Hey, you're just, you're just like them. Cause you are, and you well, have, have, to, you have, have a to real be, powerful capacity to do that. I have to be real careful because of my incredible good looks, governor. It kind of yeah, overpowers well, everything. Different. And I have to so you don't have that problem. I do. And it just <laughs> have to make sure that they're, they're wanting to talk about my intellect, but now, Hey, you mentioned something about the criminal justice system. I know that's a real passion of yours and it is one of mine actually, because I was able to pass some legislation, which is kind of unusual for somebody at my lower level in Congress. But, uh, you know, what are some of those things that y'all been working on with law enforcement? And if you comment on some of the defund the police uh, movement and, and how that has affected your your line of thought. And I, and I know that you I've quoted you many times about the um, I think you said 95 percent of the people in our jails and prisons now will be out one day. And, and you've talked about that revolving door. I believe you said 95, something like that. I've heard that's right your speeches. And um, um, that's not in my notes either. I just recalled that somehow. But, um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, um, when I ran for office, I said people want a good job and a good school for their kid and a safe neighborhood. And people, <clears throat> people want to live in a safe community. Everybody does. And crime is a, significant problem in this country right now it's a very much talked about issue as it should be and I, as a side note when you have a <clears throat> when you have a border that's wide open and drugs flowing in and 
by the truckloads and drugs are the backdrop to crime, you're going to have crime. You're going to have increased violent crime or have a scene all across America. Yep. There's a lot of reasons for that, but there's one of the big reasons for that is what's happening at the Southern border. So that's, that's a whole different subject that I know you have a lot to say about, but I've always said you got to be tough on crime and you got to be smart on crime. You got to, like we have done, you got to strengthen penalties for violent offenders. You got to, you got to uh, strengthen penalties for those who uh, use gun violence. You, you've got to make certain that you are appropriately uh, incarcerating the people who are damaging the society the most. <clears throat> but at the same time, there are realities about this. Like 95% of everyone that's sitting in a jail cell is going to get out and they're going to move back into your neighborhood and my neighborhood and your county. And that's a, that's a reality that if we're not smart about that, uh, the other reality is that about half of those people will recommit a crime and go back into prison, which is another victim and more cost to the taxpayer. So being smart is thinking about how you reenter those folks. We passed something called the Success and Reentry Act, and uh, th that's important. So there's, there's smart law that we should put around the criminal justice system that lowers recidivism, which is the return rate to prison. If you lower recidivism, you lower crime rate and you have less victims. Now, on the, defund the police and the whole, you know, terrible idea that that is, or I, I don't even know where that came from, but <clears throat> police, law enforcement, sheriffs, they are like, they are the line between order and chaos in our society. And uh, we are a society of law and order. And if people want to live in a safe neighborhood, they depend upon law enforcement to make sure that happens. I'm a strong proponent, very supportive. We just, uh, we're, we are recruiting law enforcement into our state. We, we desperately need more men and women who serve on the front lines in law enforcement. You know, we're, we could use a couple thousand more officers in this state. We just, we, we added a hundred troopers to the state highway patrol budget last year. So I'm a big believer and not just in more cops, but, uh, and more support for those law enforcement officials. We just, we just funded a hundred million dollar violent crime intervention grant fund that is available to every police department, every sheriff's department, uh, we'll continue to look at funding law enforcement and strengthening uh, law enforcement while at the same time strengthening and improving the system so that we, so that we make neighborhoods in Tennessee safer. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I think one of the big problems, I have a lot of friends in law enforcement, and I absolutely love, love the state troopers. When I was in the state legislature, they, um, I really became good friends with a lot of those folks. And, and, um, and just the professionalism that they exhibit. Yep. And, and I, I tell my little girl, Isabel, you know, I've got a lot of my buddy, one of my best friends is a fireman. And I tell her, you know, every time you hear a siren go off, honey, you ought to say a prayer because a friend of ours is getting ready to be put in harm's way. Mm -hmm. And um, either it is ambulance or, you know, whatever. And especially with, with law enforcement, just 
<clears throat> when you see on a national level, some of my colleagues uh, repeatedly run them down and then it gets to be election time and it's like, oh, we didn't say that. Then you look at the tape and it's, it's just 100, it's, it's 180 degrees the other way. I mean, they are just not, uh, just not being honest about it. And it's, uh, and some of those folks, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, Governor, you see them with the most security around them at the cap, yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking those those four guys that, and gals that are watching them have to listen to them, run them down, but yet they're they're having to, to protect them and they but they do it and they, they do it because and that tells you why uh, the heart of law enforcement, they're doing it. Even they're defending somebody who would not defend them. That's exactly they, right. Uh, yep. they, they take an oath to the to do that. And they, um, you know, it's those are the folks that, you know, as I like to say, run in while the rest of us are running out. That's right. And, you know. And I was there on January 6th, you know, it could have been a, it could have been a horrible, much more horrible than it was if it, if it wasn't for those Capitol Hill police. Right. Now their leadership, I have some questions about, but the men and women that, that run it are the best. Uh, you know, I was, I'll throw this out too. I was, if you, if you're ever in New York city, uh, you ought to go to the 9-11 museum. It's that, that too is a reminder of, um, just running into running into what everyone else is running away from. And the stories are powerful that yeah. remind us every day, disparaging these folks, the law enforcement and first responders is there should, there's, there is no place for that in this country. So we, None we, um, whatsoever. I, and it's such a vast, I think it's such a small minority, yeah, I do they, too. Um, you know, when they're in Washington, they get the mic and then, they're in powerful positions, so you have to really you have to you have to watch that. I I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, something that you and I have touched on is is education and workforce. Now, what are I know you all been working on a lot of things, and that's something near and dear to your heart is mine, the trades and things like that. Um, I was um, uh, I, I, we are just woefully um, undermanned in in those departments, and for so long it, we let the I guess just the, and I, I have a degree in education, so I can say this. You don't have to say anything, but we, we allowed some of the snobs to tell us that the trades were, were not where it was at. You know, every kid needs to get a college degree. And that you and I both know that just is not going to happen. And I have friends that make more money than I do that never went to college that actually took up a trade and started a small business, small plumbing business. You know, if you um, and I always say you can't export a clogged toilet to Mexico. We got to have those folks here working right now. And if you ever if you ever call a plumber, my plumber's name is Sammy. I mean, he, and my wife and I have him on speed dial because we got sixty acres and something and horses and something's breaking all the time. And Sammy, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, he'll he comes pretty regular, but it, you know, sometimes if you just call a plumber and they say, "Well, I can be there on Tuesday," and you're thinking, "Wow, it's Monday. That'd be great." And they go, "But no." It, Tuesday week, <laughs> yeah, you know, right, I mean, right. those, those guys and gals are loaded up. I'm wondering what, what the state, and I know you, you've talked about that. If you could touch briefly on that and, um, and, and, and talk about some of the other options people have other than a four-year college degree. Yeah. You know, my, I ran a plumbing company and heat and air conditioning, plumber, electrical. I'm a, I'm a master plumber myself, believe that or not. Um, you don't want me, but you don't want me to fix your sink, but I, I do. I, I was trained in the ability to do that. So I work with skilled tradespeople all my life, 35 years. And 
worked really hard to, to find skilled tradespeople because they're hard to find. They're, they, they're skilled uh, and they're hard to find. It's a big demand. And so I knew that before I became governor. So when I got here, I said, you know what? We got to change that. And we, I knew how valuable the folks that have the capacity to connect their brain to their hands are. And I also knew our education system didn't really cater to or provide a pathway for success for those those people that are gifted that way. So we we, we first we passed something called the Give Act, the Governor's Investment and Vocational Education Act, and that really puts grants in high schools. We funded um, a substantial increase in the service, the supports for our colleges of technology and have begun to build more colleges of technology. Those are two-year technical schools. We have uh, increased dual enrollment so kids can get a certificate from a college of technology, a TCAT. They can get that certificate in some cases and more and more as we develop this program by the time they graduate from high school. So they get a dual, uh, they get a dual degree. And we're just changing the way high school looks and the way people go into post-secondary to, to get skilled up. It, here's the reason, two, two things. And, and by the way, we're making a big, uh, you know, we're making a lot of progress there. We put a half a billion dollars in CTE and K-12 last year. That's a million dollars in every high school and a half a million dollars in every middle school in the state of Tennessee. The state with the workers will win. And there's a reason that uh, that Ford Motor Company, and by the way, I'm sitting here looking at this screen and there's a, there's a, I did not do this on purpose, but as now that I'm talking about this, this headline says we won. That was from the Brownsville uh, newspaper in Haywood County when Ford <laughs> decided to move there. And the reason, one of the reasons I think Ford decided to come here is they saw a commitment in Tennessee to the kinds of skilled workers and the development of workforce that they're going to need for this enormous plant that is the, the plant of the future in, in uh, automotive industry. The states with the workers, and I'm talking about the skilled workers, are, are going to win. And they're gonna, it's going to provide more opportunity for Tennesseans. More people have the opportunity to find meaningful work more lives changed. Uh, I'm a big believer in, and, and I'm also a big believer in, in uh, you know, in four-year degrees. I mean, we, we have some of the finest institutions in the country. And sure. we, well, so what we need are doctors and lawyers and physicists and engineers and plumbers and pipefitters and welders, electricians and nurses and teachers. And we need to have pathways of success for all the giftings uh, that, that reside in Tennessee kids. I'm glad you said that. I um, when I was mayor, I was had a, took a, had a small part in recru recruiting lifetime plastics here, um, folks out of Utah, and um, and they're generally they're uh, uh, most of the folks that are their their corporate folks are Mormons, and they're very straight laced, hardworking people, and they are and they're just lovely folks, and um, you know I, I remember I was out at the factory or they're meeting some of the the Tennesseans and this big old burly dude that covered in tattoos. I used to ride motorcycles with him. And, um, and we were, I don't know, I don't know. I don't think his name was ice pick, but it could have been. And he, um, he and I were talking and, 
And I remember them talking to that guy from a lifetime and how they were just talking and how he connected with him. They were talking about each other's families and what was going on. And, you know, it always strikes me that our best asset in this state is our people. Yep. And our, our, that's, that's where it's at. And if our people have the right tools, they can succeed far beyond what, what anybody would imagine. And that fellow had the right tools. I mean, he that's had, right. he had the training and, um, and he was uh, one of the managers actually, uh, helping run the plant. And, um, and so I've always, um, I always thought about that. And, you know, it's, when we would recruit, I'd always take folks over here to the ball market where I've had you over there before, you know, and, and everybody's got their name on their shirt and they're, you know, there's grease under their nails and, and they'll, they'll, they'll stop and shake your hand and talk to you. And, um, and that's our best asset. You it, know, is. It, it, it is always been. And, and of course we, God's blessed us beyond belief with the fields and streams and creeks and rivers and mountains and all, all the natural beauty and all that. And, um, you just add that on top of that. And it's just, um, and it, it, we're, we are a hard, hard ticket to beat. So uh, I got, that's my last, that, that, that feeds right into my last question of you, but I, I think I know the answer, but what, what sets us apart? Do you think as a leader in innovation or economic policy and just the overall or overall coolness that we share as Tennesseans? I, I speak to a group all the time down in Loud and it always amazes me that they, um, they don't, they, they don't have a, um, as I like to say, people in East Tennessee, it's the only place in the country where people don't have an accent. And those folks definitely have an accent. They've all moved <laughs> here from somewhere else. But dadgummit, they, and, and, and it's funny, you know, you think they want to change it. No, they came here because they're getting away from yeah. the New Yorks and the Californias and the yeah. New Jerseys and all, and the Connecticut's. And they want to come down here and they love it. And maybe you could touch on some of that, Governor. You know, um, well, there are a few things you've already said. I mean, Tennesseans are remarkable people. My, my family came here in 1796. And so I have a long, rich family history here. And the, the people that have been here for, you know, hundreds of years that are foundational, uh, there's, there's some remarkable stories about the resilience of those people. It, it, it lasted through the generations. So we have uh, we have a remarkable people here in Tennessee. It's true, and it is different. But it, it, there are a lot of things happening right now that um, that make this one of the most attractive states in the country. And we are one of the most attractive states in the country. More people moving here than almost any state. More companies coming here than almost any state. The people, the culture, the belief in you know the fact that we are a state of opportunity. We're a state that believes in security. We talked about that. We're a state that believes in freedom and personal freedom and personal responsibility that goes along with it. Those concepts get out. Um, people look, look all around the country and there's some places they see that can concern them. Some things they see about America that makes them anxious but yep. then they look further and they find a place like Tennessee and they say, you know what, there's a, there's a place where America hadn't lost her way. And there's a place where um, I'm reminded of the reasons why this country is great. I really do believe that this, the Tennesseans have created an environment 
That is remarkable. And you add to that a couple of, you know, economic drivers that are important to people's back pocket, lowest taxes per capita uh, in, in the country. Our the state country. has got one of the lowest tax rate, lowest debt per capita in the country. Right now, Tennessee's economy is the fastest growing economy of all 50 states. Uh, there are some, you know, there have been, there's been a long commitment in the General Assembly in previous governors, there's been a long commitment, and you were you were a part of that, to fiscal stewardship and conservative fiscal principles in state budget and in spending taxpayer dollars. And when you have a commitment to fiscal stewardship, then you set yourself up for uh, the kind of economic prosperity really a state is having like like Tennessee state is having and that's very very attractive to people that around the country they're like hey you know I, I can pay less taxes there I can find more opportunity there with a growing economy and besides that place is beautiful and those people are <laughs> there's something different about them yep I got I agree 100 percent um, here's the part of the uh, the show that I, I dislike the most uh, but our, our guests seem to like the most. Um, and this is the part where you can ask me anything you want, Governor. And I, I, should, I, I, should, yeah, I did that one I, I did I that one thought time. Of, I, should have, I should have thought about this a little bit. Gosh, yeah, well, this would well, be no, my chance. I'll give you a minute. One time when I spoke, first when I was first elected, I asked a, a classroom that, and the teacher got real nervous, and this little girl raised her hand, and she said, are you single? And I said, well, yeah. She said, well, good. She said, my mama's going through a divorce and you seem like a nice guy. And I said, I told her, I said, well, ma'am, I said, if you'll get me an eight by 10 glossy of your mama and a copy of her last W2, we'll talk. And I never got either one. So we never talked, but. Oh, goodness. I, I, yeah. I'll ask you some of those questions offline. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is an obvious question. You probably get asked this all the time, but. You are probably the as as you know easily connectable kind of regular guy. You 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 uh, there's no pretense. You it's part of your brand, but it's just a part of who you are, and it's part of what's so attractive. It's why East Tennesseans have put you in this spot. But you're also a congressman, and that's kind of a big deal. Uh, it really is. I mean, think about that. That is a yeah. Uh, it's a big deal and you're in Washington and you're, you have this enormous important responsibility and, and I'm kind of interested in what the rest of those guys are like. I mean, I know a couple of them, certainly the ones from Tennessee and they're, uh, yeah. so I know that, but as an institution and when you go up there and you, you probably get asked this all the time, like, what's that like? Mostly what are they like? I kind of want to know what they're like, because we yeah. I've learned that, you know, Americans only get what they hear on TV and, and listen and social media and whatever. That's the only perspective you have of some of these folks and what's happening up there. So get, give us a quick. Well, it's a good question, Governor. Uh, there's 435 of us. And I always like to say I'm the 435th most uh, powerful member of Congress. But uh, the reality is it's just kind of a a big word for me to use. It's kind of a microcosm of the rest of the country, really, or our communities. So you pick 435 people out, and you're going to find somebody who's in trouble. Their kids are in trouble, or they're going through a bad marriage, or something like that. I um, I spend a lot of my time on the House floor. 
I sit with people that, or maybe I ask them to sit with me that maybe are in a little bit of trouble. I, I've, um, you know, I've lost friends. I'm sure you have too. And you don't know <clears throat> maybe where their soul is. And so I've tried to, uh, speak with them sometimes and just, a um, uh, maybe just as a friend perspective. So, but it's, uh, everybody up there has got different things going on and, um, and, you know, as there's 435, so there's some bad people up there, some people up there I wouldn't trust as far as I could throw the dome off the Capitol. But by and large, they're folks that want to do something for their communities and, and, uh, and, and life just gets in the way. And I realize that. And maybe, I don't know, they talk about us all having gifts. And maybe my gift is the gift of perception that when people are hurting, and that's generally, uh, I, you know, the people that I, I talk to a lot and on both sides of the aisle. So that kind of uh, sums up my day when I'm not you know, on the political realm of it. So, but it's, um, it's, it's an interesting group of folks to say the least, to say the least. More people I think have uh, told us more people have played um, professional baseball than have been in the United States Congress. So I, I, I treat it as it's, it's an honor. I don't take myself serious, but I take the job deadly serious. So. Thank you for asking that, Governor, and and I want to thank you for being on the on our podcast with us today. Um, you've been a a good friend to me and my girls, and and um, we continue to pray for your wife. I know she's having some health issues, and um, pray for her every day. And we we thank you for the great job you're doing for our, our country and your your sincere willingness to serve, and and you want to help people, and I dig that, and so I. Um, I'm Congressman Tim Burchett, and I want to thank everybody for um, reviewing our podcast today. This has been another episode of Tennessee Talks, and as always, thank y'all for sending me here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tennessee Talks. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep up with Congressman Burchett by following Rep. Tim Burchett on Twitter and Instagram, and Congressman Tim Burchett on Facebook and YouTube.